This is holding down the fort. Today we welcome to the show former big leaguer Bill Selby and his son Eli. Bill and Eli are currently a dynamic player-coach duo at Northwestern Mississippi Community College. The two of them are off to a hot start this season. They have some big guys stepping up in big spots, so we're going to jump into that. They're going to weigh in on some of the new rule changes around the MLB, And we're going to talk to Bill about some of his big league experiences, like homering off Mariano Rivera, having some Hall of Famer friends, and much more. Thank you guys very much. We can't wait to jump in with you. Bill, you know, I gave him a little bit of rundown yesterday. He knows he's kind of been around our program for, uh, gosh, since he's been around baseball. So it, um, it's a highly competitive league. You know, the transfer portals opened up so many windows. It's closed some windows. But uh, there's a lot of tran- – it's a transfer league, so you got a lot of guys jumping backwards to get uh, another opportunity to go somewhere else. So expectations are really high for a lot of teams, a lot of schools in, in Division II baseball here in Mississippi. Um, we, as far as our team goes, we feel this team here is one of our best recruiting uh, classes we've ever had uh, with the mix of – you know, I put it in there last night so, uh, with a mix of speed – with the arms we've got and with the athletic ability we have, we enjoy this, this group. Uh, Eli's probably him coming back, uh, you know, kind of a shock, but definitely jumps in the mix in the middle of our order. Uh, As hitters, you know, I I listed a few hitters last night with him and a kid named Peyton Martin, who was a high school All-American last year. And then a, a, a kind of a, a legacy player here is two brothers played here before us. And one of them went on to Ole Miss, but Cade Leatherwood, they're going to jump in the middle of an order here of an offense that runs a lot. We run a lot. There's a lot of, uh, uh, great athletes that are always on base. So that makes it easier for hitters. We have, uh, two transfer arms, one from LSU, one from Ole Miss last year that came back. Uh, they should mix in our fold pretty well. Braden Sanders and Brooks Rice. Um, we just had, we added two more, another arm from Mississippi state, McLean Ray, and then another, uh, pitcher slash outfielder and James Woods from, uh, James James Smith, Smith, I mean, from Ole Miss. And so, uh, you know, our fall was great. And again, like I say, it was a, a young group. And this is what I like about junior college so much is a lot of these kids grew up playing with or against each other. So there's some familiarity with, uh, the the personalities and the way they play or the you know just what they do on and off the field coming into the fall and and so we and Eli could tell you we meshed really quickly in the fall in our fall games and so uh you know I don't want to get too high about it I'm not going to sell us short either I'm not going to bad mouth and say oh yeah well, it's another one of years but we have high expectations I know there's other schools out there to do too but it's an exciting group that uh I think if if, you know, the chips fall where the, that we hope they do and we continue to develop and, and, and continue to work like we did in the fall, I think it could be a really good season for us. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think Eli used the word last night on um, versatility, right? So the, the offense, the defense, 
everybody's capable of a lot of different things. You said having great athletes on base, like we got to score runs, right? So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it sounds, you know, ultra competitive. And I think you mentioning, right, the relationships or the guys, you know, personality-wise being able to mesh quick, um, them playing in a similar area or against each other, they kind of come in knowing your expectation then, right? They know, you know, the status of excellence that it is to, to come to Northwest and, and to be a Ranger. So right. that's, I think, you know, um, I remember talking to, uh, to Mike Gambino from uh, Boston College like four or five years ago. It was actually at the convention we're missing out on right now. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, he and he said, you know, when they stopped trying to get guys who wanted to go to their competitor schools and started right. asking, you know, hey, do you really want to come to Boston College? Like, do you want to play? Like, do you want to play for us? Do you, you know, guys rally around wanting to play for a certain spot. And I think it, you know, Eli, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for a certain, certain coach who's sitting there next to you, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So that helps, you know, in, in the recruiting process that helps, you know, just, just from the, the local standpoint, right. You guys kind of have, have more of a pool, would you say? Sure. Well, you know, with, to kind of touch on your, 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 your coach Gambino talking about wanting to be there and wanting to be part of the program, that buy-in if, if, and, and that that's every level. I mean, it's every level. It's a little bit different professionally when it's like, look, these guys are paying my salary, so I'm all in for the Red Sox, or I'm all yes, in. and we're we're gonna get to those. <laughs> and so, but when it comes to uh, college, it, it doesn't matter if it's the highest of elite Division ones or it, it, it at any junior college or Division two or AI, whatever. When you can find kids that really want to be a part of what you do and your program, then you you worry less about them standing on the side looking over the fence, going, "I wonder what it's like there." because this is where they want to be. So we feel like we've got that. And I think that with anybody, whether whether it be at Niagara, whether it be at, you know, Boston College or, or, or Harvard or, or Northwest, I mean, when you find that, you find that's one less area that you have to, as coaches, try to instill in somebody. It's already there. They buy into what you do. They're all for you. And, and that makes the season a little bit easier. Yeah, it, it should, you know, from from just an overall coaching standpoint, right? You know everybody's all in when they when they get there. And I obviously chips fall where they may throughout the season, playing time guys go places, but like I think the junior college level, you know, aligns with what I've done in player development and like Absolutely. my mentality of like, hey, we want to hang your jersey on the wall behind you, right? And it's not your college jersey, but it's it's about moving guys to the next level. Um, you feel like you're in a obviously junior college is a place where everybody's going to move on from um do you feel like it's a really you know a really fulfilling kind of role for you to see these guys move on and, and do you know great things at the at the college level and keep playing afterwards well absolutely and I think you know as, as far as our staff here at Northwest uh we have three coaches uh I the head coach that we were roommates in college and oh, wow okay uh, he played a little a year we both played at Southern Miss and so we and and we played here as well but he uh, he start, he played one year of pro ball and then jumped right into coaching. So he's been coaching since basically since he got out of uh, coaching college, collegially since he got out of college. Our pitching coach was somebody that pitched for us wow. and then went on to southeastern Louisiana and pitched and then pitched four or five years professionally. And now he's back. He's younger, brings a younger dynamic. But we're all products of the junior college system. 
I kind of like Eli went off to school, came back my sophomore year and played here and it opened up doors and avenues that I, I didn't have coming out of high school. And uh, I think what helps us, it's, I don't want to use the word sell because, you know, differing from say co uh, junior college softball where the opportunity to move on afterwards are there, but you know, sometimes they get lost and well, I just really don't want to go to school. Baseball, there's so there's a lot of ambition to say, hey, look, I'd like to go here and play. I'd like to go here and play. I'd like pro professional baseball may be on the table or whatever. So I think after this is my 16th year. Wow. Is it 16? Wow. 16. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> you lose track quickly, right? <laughs> I swear. It, you know, that's that's part of our resume is and part of our job description is that we're kid this is just a stopgap this is just to, uh, you know a, a ladder on a rung that we try to get them to the next level and we kind of we that's we're kind of doing what a high school coach is or a travel ball coach is in the sense that we get them in here we try to develop them as quickly as possibly if we can move them in a year or move them in two man and keep up with them the rest of their career it'd be awesome so you know we've got guys scattered here there and everywhere some guys in pro ball and and it's great to keep up, but we, you know, also on the, on the, on the negative side, if, if we, we feel like they've underachieved or we haven't done our job, then, and I also take it personal. So I think that's one of the big things about us here and a lot of junior colleges that our goal is to get these guys playing four years and maybe beyond if not, uh, but not just two. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, go, I'm going to just touch on something that you, that you just kind of hit the similarities to being a high school or a travel ball coach. So, um, one of my favorite uh, athletes growing up, and he wasn't, you know, the most popular guy, but he averaged double doubles on the hardwood every night. Tim Duncan. I always go back to the case of Tim Duncan, who was highly competitive swimmer until he's 17 years old. He's never touched a basketball before. And wow. I know, especially, you know, in, in our sport, the, the window for, you know, late bloomers is going further and further, you know, down the, the age group where I feel like I've got to start a two U elite team for my son or else he's going to be behind the, <laughs> behind right, the eight right. ball right now. Sure. So, um, you know, is the showcase style, um, you know, kind of getting those kids out of the game before they ever have a chance to, to develop and like, you know, where on the scale do you think, like, is there a fix answer? Obviously, you know, Eli played very competitive high school and travel baseball. Some of the areas, you know, here, things like that, the high school isn't as competitive. So it really is, hey, getting into one of those programs and like you might be eight, nine, 10 and pay four or $5,000 every year to be part of it and then get cut from the showcase team because 80 guys come try out and it's the best one in the area. And hey, thanks for coming. But like, you don't really play baseball anymore at you know at this so um i just wanted to kind of get your opinion as a, a guy who's played you know at the highest of levels and probably have come across all sorts of guys who have made it to that level as well um you know are are there still hope for the the late bloomers who are out there oh, well absolutely and and you know that's uh you know one of our and eli could tell you he watched his development here i think what's critical for a junior college coach uh or even you know, your smaller division one coaches is the ability to evaluate potential. You know, I know it, it's easy to go recruit the right-handed arm at six, four and is touching 92 out of high school. Everybody can recruit that, yeah. but to see a kid that may be a little gangly, not as, you know, a little out of sorts, body wise, body control, 
that may be 84, 86 with a little life on his fastball, then you you have to be able to say, all right, I believe this kid could be this with an opportunity to, to perform. Like you said, if they're late bloomers, how do we get better besides training? You have to play. And so, and, and I don't ever go into somebody's home or recruit a kid to say, hey, you really don't need to go to Ole Miss down the road. Because right. you don't really need to go to Mississippi State down the road or Southern Miss at the south tip of Mississippi. Uh, because that was, was our dreams, too, growing up. Absolutely. And, but I know in the back of my mind, the best thing for a lot of the kids that end up being successful at this level are guys that need a chance. And, you know, listen, the way and, – and, and I don't know if you've talked to Eli about it or not. In this area in the southeast, travel ball is – it is a – it's an entity to itself. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is, feels like it's four or five thousand dollars. I'm thinking that's a couple of tournaments nowadays. Yeah, it's. I I was being I was being kind on the numbers, but it is. It's continuing to kind of get out. It's of investment, <laughs> and you know, a lot, a lot of parents have to weigh. Look, am I going to spend ten thousand dollars a summer for my kid to play twelve year old ball, or can I just save for his college now? Well, I'd say, look, it just depends. I do both, you know. Well, and I mean, and you know, if eleven seven keeps sticking around, like, what are you really, you know, what are you really going to get out of out of that other than those, you know, your top guys who go to the top places? And I think it almost creates this this vibe in the game around, like, you know, hey, D one or Buster guys, you know, trying to jump over levels and not, you know, not where they belong. I think it just goes full circle back to like you want guys who want to be in our program and I think you know the the coaches can you know sniff sniff that out especially you know you You guys who are who are better ones right you have to well and and I told this I told this to Elon he probably got tired of hearing it and I say it to all our guys uh, and and I just tell them what what's the most important for you in not just where you are today as a ball player and a student athlete and, and making a decision on the next season or the next year or the next school is, is fit at, you know, within the team, you know, what's our, what are opportunities? And, you know, that's, that's one thing oh, I want to play. I want to play. Well, I understand that, but also you have to have a, you know, have a relationship with a coach. You can't just show up and say, well, he was one way. And then I'll say, I don't like it. Well, then, you've already got off to a bad start. It's going to be a long time for you. So yeah, it's going to be a tough, it's tough going to be fit. It's going to be surroundings. You got to weigh all the pros and cons of everything you do at that point, the name on the Jersey becomes a little less important. And then it's about the name on the back of my Jersey. And I say, well, that's cool. That's cool. So, but that's kind of selfish. No, actually I want to make sure that I can maximize myself as a student athlete and whatever program that's best for me to make their program now the number one thing and, and the best me is going to make the best us. And Absolutely. so, and I, yeah, I, I hate to cut you off there, but that's something that I've always fully believed in is like anybody who goes into it and says, Hey, you're being selfish. Like I've always, that's a good thing, right? Like Absolutely. You, don't you're being selfish because you want to get better because you have a higher right. standard for yourself and teams that try to take that away from you, man, like that is, you know, that is just not the place that you want to be. So I am all about us playing for the name on the back of our jersey. Sure. And then, you know, are we back to, you know, are we back to travel baseball where it's like, hey, everybody's in it for themselves and showcasing again, right? So I think it goes, it goes both ways, but I think ultimately sure. you guys are a hundred percent, you know, hundred percent right on like we need to be all in for ourselves. And 
that's the best way to help the team, right? If Eli hits every day and may, you know, calls me as the coach and says, Hey, you got to come in, you got to come in, right? Like my wife might not love it, but like you being selfish and us being all in on that, like it makes the program better when you go out. Makes everybody and better. And you yeah, it well, right. So um, sticking to sticking to baseball, but we're going to roll into just a couple of the, the new rules that are going on, right? Whether it's pitch clock. Um, I was big on uh, Dominguez tapping the helmet for a uh, the, the ball strike review the other night and everybody in the, in the stand see it come up as a ball. And I, you know, where do you, where do you stand on some of the new things? And is there anything that we can do? Eli, feel free to jump in on this too. Is there anything we can do to get, you know, kids really loving the game more um, because I know as I grew up, I got lucky enough to watch, you know, Glavin Smoltz and Maddox pitch on TBS, um, you know, five nights a week. And it was, uh, I got to be the rebel of the, the Yankee household because there was actually baseball to watch on TV every night. And you're not spending X amount of dollars on watching MLB TV and then getting blacked out because it's too close to you. So, right. um, outside of that, you know, are these moves kind of helping the game and are they getting kids more into it, do you think? Um, in regards to the kids loving the game, I mean, now I think, I, I think that baseball is now becoming more televised. Obviously, yes, there's, uh, there's always going to be people like that are going to say, oh, n- nobody wants to watch baseball. It's boring. I don't want to sit down for nine innings and watch baseball, but I feel like baseball now has a more passionate crowd, especially from the younger guys. Because, I mean, you look at it now, you look at how the game's evolving today, the game's becoming more fun. I mean, you look at some of the guys nowadays, some of your Latin superstars that are flashy, like Tatis, Jazz Chisholm, Juan Soto. You don't, you have guys like that in the 1990s and early 2000s, but some of the stuff they're kind of doing for entertainment value now with the big bat flips and playing flashy how they do. That's really appreciated and loved in today's baseball environment. But back in the day, that's kind of frowned upon. You know, back when he played, you got guys like Tatis and Jazz Chisholm flipping their bat 10 feet in the air. It's not going to end well for them. But now you got guys. Yeah, we can't, really, we can't really buzz you with fastballs too too much anymore. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now you got people excited about it. You got young kids getting into it, watching more baseball as opposed to some of the other sports. And I really do think baseball's trending in a good direction, I would say, at least professionally from an entertainment standpoint. More of the rules that you said, I'm more of a traditionalist. I mean, I've never had to come into contact with it. I'm not big on the being able to challenge balls and strikes because, I mean, I've wanted to do that my entire career. Like I'm, <laughs> that, That'll be more so of a thing where it's like having an umpire is a human part of a baseball game and it always has and in my opinion it always should be do we have the technology to have a digital strike zone yeah but then then now you have the opportunity to have a digital strike zone so what's the importance of a catcher framing now you take that whole aspect out of the game it changes the position of a catcher entirely oh we don't need a guy like jose trevino back there who gets strikes better than the rest of the league who'll get you on average probably 30, 40 runs per year just on framing strikes. We can stick somebody that's just a DH back there now in the program, just have somebody with a good arm and that can hit. Yep, just kind of, so, hey, just just stop the ball from going to the back. Yeah, I, I, don't, on that. I, I don't really know how I feel about the new rule. I'm more of a traditionalist, but I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world to have a couple challenges now and then in regards to the strike zone. But 
in regards to pitch clock, I'm not big on a pitch clock. I mean, I don't – obviously, there's there's been a lot of implements in the game that um, – especially last year going through it with the NTA that have been put in place to kind of speed things up. What you mean? Coming into contact with it last year, I didn't – like, I mean, last year the big one was, oh, as soon as you step off now, you have to make a baseball move or it's a balk. Well, now – No more just you got, you got guys stepping off and then doing a whole baseball move. And in turn, that takes longer time than it would if you got a guy <laughs> just want to step off and check on the guy. Absolutely. You know? So I feel like I feel like there's been kind of an emphasis on time-saving things that really don't – Speed it up, speed it up, speed it, it up, right? It yeah. really doesn't save that much time. I mean, you think about it, how many times is a pitcher taking 20 seconds to pitch anyway? 100%, man. That's that. – I'm, I'm well, all here, in on that. I love it. You know, I played – what was it, Eli? About eight years in winter ball during my career, and and baseball was an event like a, I don't say a party, but it was and the family took them. And it wasn't. It was different in the sense that it was a lively time, especially in Dominican Republic. That was, I mean, that was I, just your Wednesday night game was just like it was the country shut down. Yeah, so, you have to me. A lot of it, and, and again, I, I'm for the human element. Again, I'm a traditionalist. I played 15 years ago. But when you when it seems like a lot of the rules are restrictive, okay, we need to shorten the time for these games. Well, why don't you make the time of the games that you're playing on average more enjoyable, and then you wouldn't have to worry about restricting if we go five more minutes longer. You know what I mean? Or this pitch so, – some of the elements – in these games, whether it's a pitch clock, well, some of that slow playing is a is a is a confrontation between a pitcher and a hitter. You know, there's a mental warfare that's going on there. And if you're trying to quote unquote perfect the game, we play an imperfect sport. We coach an imperfect sport where is I'm not going to make every pitch every time. I'm not going to get a hit, hit every time. So imperfection is part of the sport we enjoy. And so when you try to uh, to make our sport perfection, well, then you lose the element of fun, uh, uh, human error, or or then it becomes a robotic game. And Eli said before I was a true, you threw bats around. I've been hit because guys flip bats. It, it, Not that, even me. Not in the order. I've done it. I, I mean, I've worn a lot of them. Uh, but elements that draw the younger crowd to excitement is what you should be focused on. Hey, if this is fun, hey, you want to stop that? I, 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 what is the, uh, the, t- the summer team, the Savannah Bananas? Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not trying to plug them. I don't know. I haven't done no, enough. No, they're, and they're, I mean, I know, I know just from And a, I'm not an, saying that the major league game, I, there's a lot of money. I don't know that the major league game can get to that, but I think what Savannah centers around, not only good baseball, but is a, in, a, in a, an event where a, a family can go and be entertained. Baseball players are entertainers in the professional level. It's fun the guy to go to the game. Behind you is an entertainer. Now he, albeit he's probably the best in the game in my eyes, if not one of the top three. But he's an entertainer first and foremost. He's bringing people in 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 three feet of snow, <laughs> fill a stadium where you can't feel your body because you're so cold. He's an entertainer. So what he does. If his product, not just by his talent, but his personality, his 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 actions, the way the flow of the game goes, because he's in there, those things make a difference in the enjoyment of a game. So when it comes down to the rules, there's some rules maybe here, there, and everywhere. 
Uh, you know, I understand in football with the dangers of how, you know, how athletic and strong and how dangerous it's become. I understand some of the safety rules, but when it comes to restricting time, well, we don't, we got to have a window of time. Well, if you do, then make sure the two hours and 45 minutes that you get or the three hours or whatever on average it is, is an enjoyable, entertaining night. That's the way I look at it. And to do that, you can't just ask 52-year-old men. You have to ask the, the, the fans, not just the, the older people that watches baseball, the traditionalists. You have to ask, what was it that makes people uh, in the Dominican Republic or in Mexico or Venezuela or Puerto Rico where I went to play winter ball, why do they enjoy the atmosphere so much? What is the atmosphere like that makes it more enjoyable? You're fixing to have what the World Cup of Baseball is coming yeah, up, right? Yeah, World Baseball Classic. How enjoyable is that going to be? How much well, fun is it? Yeah, how much fun is that? Well, the pitch clock makes it a lot more fun to watch. No, it's, it's <laughs> no the way the guys perform and the way they, they interact with each other and their love for the game. So, listen, rules are rules. People are going, there's always going to be guys, oh, well, we got to do this, we got to do this. I understand that. But if you're trying to restrict or make a game perfect that's not designed to be perfect, then you're losing a product that's natural. You know what I mean? That's just the way I look at it. Absolutely. And I, so like, I, I just asked because I've personal experience the COVID year. I went to spring training with the Angels to be a pitching coach. So 2020. Right. And it was, um, you know, we still had short season. I was going to go to Orem, Utah. Um, so it was the Dominican Summer League had big league. Uh, step off pickoff rules right. but short season low a high a double a all had these new set of if you step off baseball move you can't um inside move to second so we get together as a staff on you know the first couple days right and we're like um how in the hell are we going to teach these guys a new set of pickoff and like we're asking each other questions and poking holes in the rules quite like just in a like our first group meeting about it and we're like oh man this seems this seems way more difficult than it is gonna make them better speed it up or like what why are we doing this stuff and like we're you know we're inside spinning the second on the stopwatch to see if it's faster like you can't step off and not throw in is this the game that we play? Like what I, I'm like, I thought I'm coming game out of it. the professional game level. <laughs> and I, I've got to teach guys who've done something their whole life, the way I did it my whole life, the way Buddy Carlisle, who's 50 has done it his whole life and played in the big leagues for how, like it's new this year and none of us know how to do it. And we're going right. to teach them it today. <laughs> like it just, it seemed right. like there was such a disconnect between, Absolutely. Hey, is this making it more fun for the fans and the experience enjoyable? Or are we just, trying to come up with rules that uh, make the, the time amount shorter. So exactly. love where you guys are at on that. And I'm, we're all in right there. So um, last thing that we're going to kind of run down through, I've just got some kind of like some uh, career questions. We'll go through them kind of quick. Um, but I, you know, I've got some, some personal things that kind of stand out to me as a kid from Cooperstown. I've watched a lot of baseball. I watched a lot of your era baseball. Um, any big moments, you know, on and off the field um, that that really, you know, stand out just in your head? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you what, we, I've had some friends back when I played, I had a lot of friends that I played with and that I went to school with and stuff that I was like, man, we're going to come watch you when you guys go to Texas or we're going to come watch you if you guys go to Atlanta or blah, blah, blah. And I told them, 
And this this made the biggest impression on me because I was always a baseball fan before I was a player. You know, okay. I, mean, I was a player, but I always stayed a fan. You know, if if I was in the locker room with with Roger Clemens, I was still a fan of Rogers. Even <laughs> my teammate or, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or Jim Tomey. And my locker's next to Jim Tomey. And I'm talking to a guy that I always admired as a fan. So, but I told our, I told my friends, I said, look, if you want to really enjoy something and you really want to get something out of it, come to spring training. I see, because at that point you get to see the guys, not just go out and have three or four at bats or throw five or six innings. You get to see them work. And, and you go for a few days and you watch them work every day and you get to see a normal person, a normal guy who's a superstar. And, and so my, my, some of the most fun times I ever had were the spring training games, just the times of getting down there, uh, bolting after practice and going fishing or playing golf for a little bit and jumping on the, you know, at the uh, fishing hole right there on the course. Or spring training was a collection of, the best in the world and watching them work. That was amazing for me. Now there's great highlights and moments in my life. And people always ask, well, was your home run off Mariano your most memorable home run? Well, yeah, that everybody saw, but my most memorable home run was the first home run I ever hit in minor league ball. And it's so vivid because we were in Auburn playing in Auburn in the pin league. And I can, it was raining and I can remember I come off a season where I hit a whole bunch of home runs in, at Southern Miss, whole bunch. And I'd gone a couple of weeks in short season. I'm like, man, I still had hitting one. I was hitting pretty well. Yeah. The first one I hit, I remember it was in Auburn, New York. And I remember I was watching it all the way and I almost missed first base. And when I hit it, I tripped and I just went in the mud. Oh. And I remember that as much as I do any other hit I've ever had. So, you know, some of the things that happen that everybody sees on TV are, are great. Now, listen, I'm thankful for every minute, but some of the things I experienced, whether it be hitting coaches like Bill Madlock was one of the best I've ever had. And I had him in Buffalo for a little bit and he was just, and somebody asked me what made him so good. I said, he was accessible, you know, and they were like, well, what, why I said because he was like me we got to the park early it whether we were in Toledo whether we were in Columbus or Buffalo or whatever we got to the park early I had a routine he didn't try to change it and and if we needed an adjustment we did and then we go back in and we cook a bag of popcorn and go play cards those are the things that are just as as memorable for me as going out there and getting three hits in a game so that's yeah, what I mean, that that's it sounds like, you know, the the, the fun aspect, right? And the, the human element, right? Like these guys are, are friends forever, right? Absolutely. That's that's what you really want to do. And I know that, right, Eli, you got friends, friends up here from from yeah. the, the one season that you spent here. And like those dudes are going to be dudes who we talk to forever, right? Some of those guys. So I, you know, I, I love that. And I didn't want to ask the Mariano Rivera home run question because I'm sure everybody throws that at you right away. But um. It reminds me, so I got, when I did get to spring training for the Angels, again, we had, Jay Bell was our double A um, sure. uh, manager. And he, uh, he told me a story one time about his most memorable home run. And he was, uh, it was the year that the Diamondbacks won the World Series, but middle of July, just regular old game and they're playing at home and um, it's the seventh inning. So they pick a fan out. And if there's the seventh batter in the seventh inning, hits a home run, this lady gets a million dollars. Oh, my. And so he's, he's like, oh, there's two outs. Nobody's on. 
And I'm like, oh, all right, like there, you know, whatever. He gets up and he just unloads out a grand slam after this guy goes walk, walk, single walk. Like he finally gets up with two outs in it and he wins this lady a million dollars for like on a home run. And he's like, I will never, like, I will never remember a moment like I remember that one, seeing that lady after the game and being able to walk over there and change someone's life with, you know, they went on to win the World Series that year. And that's what, you know, that's what stood out to him. I always think that that's, you know, about the fans, about the people you're around. It's about, you know, exactly, exactly what you said too. So um, second thing, right? Obviously children, marriage, um, all all the fun things that happen in life along the way. A place that you really like when you played away in the big leagues, favorite clubhouse to roll into, whether it was the clubby who made it special or just the facility, favorite place to go, go play as an, uh, as an away player. As a uh, Tampa, Tampa had there and, and, and there, you know, a lot of people go, yeah, it's on the wrong side of the bay. They built their stadium on the wrong side of the bay. And, you know, you got to go across the track. I get it. But that visitor's clubhouse was hands down the best ever. And it's from the clubhouse attendance and and whether it was, you know, the meals they cook, the service you got, the availability, Tampa was the best visiting clubhouse that I played at. Now they were all good. Don't get me wrong. Oh I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, people <laughs> like, well, you know, I mean it's this it's all the major leagues. So um, you had you had that answer pretty quick kind of right. I mean Tampa on the to go on the road, Tampa was really good. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So um, out of all the teams, favorite place to, to be at home, what felt like, uh, you know, home the most? Cleveland, no question. Cleveland Absolutely was- no question. And, and and not just the Cleveland experience, because I was drafted by the Red Sox. And right. I came up through the Red Sox system and, and, and playing at Fenway Park was, you know, that's, I mean, you go to the park every day and you're like, oh my gosh, you imagine all the players that played here. Same thing when you walk in, I played in the old Yankee Stadium. And yep, you, I, I you don't, you don't come in off the street, you come in through the outfield, you know, and you walk through that, and the, the all you can think of is Mickey Mantle played out here, Joe DiMaggio, and you but Cleveland at the time I was there, not only were they the ones that said we believe, uh we embrace, even though I was a utility player, a small guy, all the their organizations, first class, and <clears throat> my experience in Buffalo was as good as anything I played in, in all of minor league and in, in all of baseball. And just from, from the, the top of the food chain to the bottom and, and, and their playing at Buffalo, my experience in the city on the city outskirts, that whole time period I was with between Buffalo and Cleveland was as enjoyable as anything I could ever imagine. So, I, listen, I, I love Cincinnati, and I love being in playing with the Cubs and 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 the Cardinals, and especially the Boston. And Cleveland was really top of food chain. It, home, home, really, home, home. Well, that's amazing. Um, all right. So you had some some really, uh, in my opinion, really cool music that probably came out while you were a uh, a big leaguer, as far as. Um, you know, the, whether it was the grunge scene, classic rock stuff that was still going on, coolest concert and, uh, and uh, you know, favorite kind of kind of band that you were, you were into when you started playing. Right, so Eli and my wife are really musical people. You know, their, their palette for music is so diverse and wide. It's really it's something to behold. We were just on a cruise off the subject. We were just on a cruise in, uh, uh, for Christmas. We went on a cruise out of Fort Lauderdale and 
you know, went to a few places. And one of the events we did on the cruise was an 80 music trivia. All right. He yes. With our group <laughs> and we lost by three points and he knew the answers to the questions. Yeah, if we yeah, had him there. Right. So their palette of music right, so diverse. <laughs> Mine is real simple. But I can remember when we were at, uh, when I was playing at Jacobsfield with uh, Cleveland at the time, Tommy knew Tim McGraw's drummer. Oh, boy. Okay. And, so, and, you know, at the time it was uh, the, the, where the Cavaliers play, it was called the Gundarina, I'm pretty sure. Yep. And, so, and it's connected, right? And so I remember playing a game and uh, four or five of us went straight from there. They jumped us on a big golf cart and drove us all the way. And Tim McGraw and Faith Hill were, finishing a concert so we just basically went on stage backstage and just sit and waited for them i didn't go to any concerts other than that with them but i got to meet tim tim uh, mcgraw and faith hill at the time that was pretty cool for me because she's from mississippi too so wow so that ties it ties it right back in man well um honestly that's that's all i had for you guys um like faith hill being from mississippi was i think that's the the right way to to wrap it up right there so um i really appreciate your time um and thank you guys for for jumping on with me eli anytime you hear you obviously know we got you man and uh appreciate that too best of luck to you guys this year it sounds like it's going to be a hell of a season i can't wait to follow along all right thanks for everything thank you guys hold it down out there thank you for listening to holding down the fort this is jimbo fort reminding you to hold it down be on the lookout for our new merch. Anybody who has any questions for the show or for our guests on the show, please email us at holdendownthefortpod at gmail.com. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube for all the latest updates and to hold it with us. Thank you again. We look forward to having you back for the next episode.